I'm Neve Barker in London, outside the Russian embassy. The scene of regular protests against Moscow's invasion of Ukraine a year ago, during which time tens of thousands of people have been killed, millions have been forced into exile. And in the days leading up to that key anniversary, President Vladimir Putin addressed a room packed full of Russia's elites. He said that the Kremlin would be pulling out of a key nuclear strategic arms treaty with the US. He also urged Russian businesses to become more self-reliant and accused the West of creating an existential threat for Russia. In the last 12 months, the UK has become one of Ukraine's most ardent supporters and one of Russia's fiercest critics. And alongside other NATO alliance members has funneled billions of dollars worth of weapons into Ukraine to help with the nation's war efforts. And it's here in the UK, back in 2019, where Andrei Kellen was appointed Russia's ambassador to the UK. During that time, he's faced calls to be expelled by the former Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson. And one opposition MP has accused him of simply being a parrot for Vladimir Putin's regime. Andrei Kellin, Russia's ambassador to the UK, talks to Al Jazeera. Andrei Kellin, Russian ambassador to the United Kingdom, thank you very much for talking to Al Jazeera. It's been a year of violent bloodshed, tens of thousands of people possibly killed, possibly millions been forced into exile from Ukraine. We're talking about people living in basements, about economic instability also rippling around the world. It's very, very hard to imagine that all of this was in Russia's initial plan where it began its so-called special military operation, something most other countries simply call a war. Uh, uh, let me bring it up, uh, up to date, uh, because uh, the conflict, in fact, did not start a year ago. It had started in 2014, when a very nationalistic government, extremely nationalistic government in Kiev has come to power as a result of this revolution that is called now Maidan. And uh, the main uh, policy or major policy of, of this nationalistic government was to uh, exterminate uh, Russians, uh, exterminate Russian culture, language, prohibit Russian language, and even physically kill Russians, especially that are living in the east of the country. Does defending so-called Russian speakers in the Donbass also include shelling the likes of Lviv, thousands of kilometers away from Donbass? Does it also include stationing warships off the city of Odessa, thousands of kilometers away from the Donbass? also sending troops into the capital, Kiev, in the early days of the war. Does that have anything to do with defending, as you say, the rights of Russian speakers in the Donbass? Yeah, you know, what has happened, what was revealed by uh, the former participants uh, of so-called negotiation process, uh, I mean, Chancellor Merkel, uh, uh, Boris Johnson, uh, as well as François Hollande, the former uh, president of France, they s have said that it was not only imitation of diplomacy, but at the same time they needed to reinforce Ukraine and to create uh, out of Ukraine an antipod of Russia, a so-called anti-Russia, in order to, Russia has become too strong for them. So they need a counterweight on it. And they uh, spend a lot of money to create out of Ukraine very serious fortress, uh, uh, 
full of armament. Uh, what, what was needed, one of the goals of the operation was to reduce uh, the military potential of Ukraine. Otherwise, it was creating a very big threat for Russia, especially when NATO has come to a border of Russia and they say that probably Ukraine will be part of NATO. So we feel very threatened because missiles uh, that can be put on Ukraine and installed on Ukraine territory, uh, they can reach uh, Russian territory within a couple of minutes. According to the UN Human Rights Commission, more civilians were killed since Russia's invasion last February than in the past eight and a half years. We're talking about something like 8,000 civilians, hundreds of children. What happened or what you accuse Ukraine of doing in the Donbass seems to pale in significance to what Russia has done since last February. Official figures of the United Nations uh, that 12,000 uh, people have been killed uh, from 2014 and until 2022. So it is much bigger figure. These were civilians mainly, and a big part of it has been killed in Donbass since uh, Ukraine has installed its cannons, uh, missiles, uh, and self-propelled rockets right in front of uh, Donetsk, the capital of Donbass, and but, shelling but, but, the but no, civilians. But no evidence of so-called genocide, which is what Russian state media repeatedly claims has happened in the Donbass. According to the OSCE, there's been no evidence at all of the atrocities that Russia claims Ukraine has carried out no, in the Donbass. Genocide is a very specific notion, I, I would say. It is, uh, uh, it is formulated in UN documents and, uh, well, some newspapers and uh, politicians using this word uh, just occasionally. <laughs> so it doesn't mean uh, genocide in Rwanda, for instance. It's a totally different thing uh, uh, when uh, the whole uh, population was exterminated by the last one. So, but uh, genocide, uh, the word was used in terms of uh, inflicting a lot of damage to civilian infrastructure and to civilians. Butcher, Erpin, Mariupol, you know those places very well. Ukrainian towns where Russia's accused of all sorts of gross atrocities and war crimes, including the murder of civilians, rape. The list goes on. Do you condemn these alleged crimes? Uh, well, uh, we uh, heard a lot about that. They are totally different, absolutely different things. Butcher has been staged, and there is no doubt about that, staged by Ukrainian special forces. In Mariupol, uh, uh, you probably are saying about uh, uh, bombing the theater over there, but victims have not been discovered. So all these things we know, but uh, also when uh, we need to have a balance. We need that international community uh, should be aware of what is happening in Donbass, uh, where each day uh, it was shelled, killed, and exterminated. For, for instance, uh, do you know that prison in Yelenovka that contained uh, a lot of uh, Ukrainian war prisoners was uh, damaged and destroyed by Ukrainian missiles, for instance? Or what was happening in Kramatorsk when uh, the um, uh, well, people try to leave uh, it by train, and at the time when they boarding the train, Ukrainian missile has exactly has shelled into the um, uh, train station and killed a lot of people. It's a crime, but nobody is speaking about that. So you're saying that all the evidence put forward regarding claims of um, atrocities carried out by Russian forces in the likes of Bucha and Erpin are fake? In Bucha, absolutely, uh, it was fake. Mariupol has nothing to do with this. Irpin, I, uh, I, I'm not sure about Irpin because I did not, I'm not very well about that. So there's a possibility but that crimes may have been committed in Irpin? 
No, this is uh, military operation. This is a war, in fact. Uh, things are happening. Are civilians collateral in that war, then? Hmm? Are civilians collateral in that war? We do not target uh, especially uh, civilian infrastructure. It is many times has been uh, said that uh, we do not target buildings or civilians. Uh, we target sometimes energy infrastructure because it is command and control system uh, that is being used for the military purposes. So this is not the goal at all. And we are not against Ukrainians at all. But we, we, what we know for sure is that Ukrainian troops, they're using uh, civilian infrastructure to install their military capabilities and they are shelling directly uh, the uh, um, uh, civil infrastructure. And because of that, of course, this, uh, people is, uh, this is military crimes. Uh, I notice, sir, that you use the word war. Is this a war? Uh, in a way, yes. In a way, it is even, you can call it uh, civil war, because uh, on uh, both parts, it is, uh, we do not share, uh, we do not drive a line between uh, Russian people and Ukrainian people that contains lots of Russian. So in certain way, it is, yes. And back home, uh, in Russia itself, those people who protest, who are against this war, for whatever reason, how should they be treated? Differently, that depends. Uh, is uh, I do recognize that uh, not everybody is will be is in favor of what is happening over the year. Of course, some are uh, uh, well, just discussing it. Some are very active, but uh, well, in any country which is involved in the war, it has happened in the United States. Of course, those who are arranging. Uh, public protests against, against uh, the policy of the government, uh, they would treat it accordingly. I mean, I'm, I'm not denying that injustices may be carried out in other countries, including the United States, but focusing purely on Russia, is it right to lock up people for substantial amounts of time for protesting against what's going on Well, in you Ukraine. know, it is for us, it is a very special period of time. And because of that, special laws mm -hmm. has been uh, adapted uh, by our parliament, which in fact uh, do not favor uh, if there will be an organized uh, political process against uh, the action of the government. It has happened in every government. If you look at what is happening in Kyiv, then uh, no one can say anything about actions at all. Opposition is totally exterminated. Newspapers, those opposing the government and political parties, they simply do not exist anymore. Do they exist in Russia? They do, sure, of course. We have several parties that are, have a place in Duma. Do, do you have a plurality? Do you have a variety of voices in the media, oh, particularly sure. when it comes to those who don't agree with what the government and what the Kremlin is doing? Well, uh, I'm seeing it every day. Uh, I'm watching Russian television every day, much more than the, uh, than the British television now, because British television is producing only one point of view. And the debate that are taking place uh, in our... Uh, um, talk, uh, political talks, uh, there are plurality of views, different views, I would should say, that are being expressed. I want to move on a little bit, a bit and ask you whether you personally were aware of the Kremlin's plans for a full-scale assault on Ukraine last February. No, I was not aware of that. You've lost potentially thousands of troops many of them former prisoners freed to fight on the front line, not to mention many senior generals. You've been hit by wave after wave of international sanctions, and the war appears to have strengthened, not weakened NATO, with the likes of Finland and Sweden now poised to join the alliance. It's hard to imagine that any of this was part of the plan for Russia. 
I uh, don't believe that I have a, a fair answer uh, or a straight answer to that because uh, your question is uh, very complicated. I'm not going to speculate about uh, how many lives uh, has been uh, lost uh, on one side or the other side. Uh, the calculation is uh, very dif experts uh, difference. Uh, mainly they are saying that uh, we have lost uh, uh, on one Russian soldier seven or six or seven Ukrainians because, uh, because of, of all of that. Uh, yes, it is uh, difficult, of course, uh, but uh, the price, uh, the tag on it, uh, the price of what is going on, uh, and uh, I would, I, I'm not speaking about the victory or something like that, but the price is very high uh, on it. Uh, what, it is what, what also confirmed by... Sorry to interrupt, but what, what message does it send to the world that Russia is f using conscripts, people in prison, to send to the front line to fight on behalf no, of this Kremlin's war. Well, I'm not going to speculate about the motives, but uh, the uh, those, uh, as, as I understand, uh, I'm not fully aware of the situation, but we have uh, a regular army and we have a, uh, how it is called, private uh, private companies uh, that also exist in the West. We have a variety of them, Blackwaters, for instance, and all of that, uh, all that stuff, French foreign legion, uh, take French uh, foreign legion, uh, which consists of, by the way, those who have been convicted and then gone, gone to fight. Uh, I'm not sure about Blackwaters, but I do believe Blackwaters is also an American company, famous one, that contains a lot of those who have been sentenced and then inscribed into this. For, for us, uh, this uh, Wagner company is a private company, and uh, the issue was <coughs> that they are going to fight for some time, for, for money, and after uh, six months, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they will be free. They will be free and uh, relieved of these sentences. But that simply isn't the case, is it? I mean, we're talking about large numbers of casualties amongst these people who have been recruited by Wagner, this private company with clear links to the Kremlin, to, to fight this conflict. Who is really fighting this war is it from Russia? Is it Wagner or is it the <laughs> Russian military? Is it a question or a statement? It is, well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking you, who is fighting this war, I, Wagner I, or the Russian military? Uh, well, I, who is I, winning I, this war? I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm, well, I, I'm not in possession of all the facts. It is. It's. Uh, it is. Uh, the, uh, there is an official uh, report every day. There are lots of bloggers. So I have. I, I uh, hear different uh, points on view on that. And this. I think it's a combination of it. It is. Uh, we are, we are using the means that are at our disposal. Why does Russia continue to see the NATO alliance, a partnership of independent democratic states, a security alliance, why does Moscow continue to see that as a threat, an existential mm -hmm. threat? Oh my God, that's a good question. You know, I have spent 10 years in the headquarters of NATO trying to, re to establish good relationship between NATO and Russia. But it was all until uh, NATO has started bombardments uh, of Yugoslavia, where they have killed lots of people, destroyed lots of bridges, used uranium as, as it is still diseases are spread over the year. And then NATO has attacked uh, uh, Iraq, and destroyed Iraq under false, totally false pretext uh, of unexisted uh, possession of uh, mass, uh, uh, mass destruction weapon. Then was Libya, uh, which has also has been destroyed uh, uh, totally by NATO forces, and still there is no state, neither in Iraq, proper state, you, you neither in Libya. You talk about other countries there. Some of those countries may have had close diplomatic ties to, to Russia, but I'm talking specifically about Russia. 
Vladimir Putin, your boss, has repeatedly accused NATO of trying to encircle well, that, that Russia. Is, is that the case? Do you really believe that? That is, that is the case, and absolutely it has happened. We have got promises in the end of the 90s that NATO is not going to enlarge. These promises have been fixed on paper, but we never uh, take it as a treaty. These promises have been uh, violated, has been uh, destroyed. We have seven waves of enlargement of NATO, closer and closer to our borders until it has come absolutely, in the case of Ukraine, towards our border. And we but only 6% of Russia actually touches NATO countries. Russia has land borders with 14 countries. Only five of those are NATO members. Where does this narrative of encirclement come from? Who does it serve to continually insist that that is the case, that that is the goal for the NATO alliance? No. Uh, if your question is about whether NATO is defensive organization or uh, aggressive organization, right now NATO and the European Union are supplying lots of weapons into Ukraine. Let me finish. Let me finish, please. It's an important. It's an important point. It's an important point. It is not only Ukraine uh, and Russia that are in conflict. Now we are in conflict with NATO, since NATO is providing weapons for free to Ukraine, pouring a lot of money to it, and Ukrainian, uh, and we know that lots of uh, forces, also mercenaries from NATO countries, are participating in it, in training it as well. So it is involved right now into this conflict. Well, I want to talk specifically about those weapons. How might the supply, for instance, of tanks, long-range weapons, and possibly even fighter jets change Russia's chances on the battlefield? Don't believe that it will be uh, much of an influence on that because of the quantities. I don't believe that it will be a serious threat to us. The threat is a long-range weapon because a long-range weapon, uh, they can uh, achieve goals on the territory of Russia. Uh, so far, other countries abstained from uh, uh, provision or uh, saying that they're going to abstain. Only the United Kingdom is saying directly that it is going to provide a long-range weapon for the Ukrainian army. How would that and affect Russian tactics? And we are certain that this long-range weapon will be used against civilian targets. Do you fear those weapons may be used against Russia directly? Yes. How tactically might Russia respond? Would that mean having to make greater advances to push further into Ukraine? Exactly. You have answered your own question. Then we have to move this line further, deeper into Ukraine, just to avoid uh, further threats to the territory of Russia and to the territory of Donbass. So, by, in this way, uh, Western countries, they are destroying Ukraine itself. Is China offering military support to you? Officially, China is saying that it is not uh, providing us military support. And as far as I know, as far as I know, it does not happen. But we have a lot of trade with China, of course. Uh, we, so it as, might be happening for, unofficially? I do not know. I, I haven't said that and I do not try to attach uh, to me anything this. China is saying that uh, it is not supplying us with arms and we have no confirmation that we are getting arms from China. Is there any situation, I'm sure you've been asked this many times before, whether Russia would consider using nuclear weapons in the battlefield? I have been uh, many times asked about this and I can tell you once again that our military doctrine it envisages only two options uh, for the use of military weapons. If we are under severe attack 
by nuclear weapons from the outside, in this case by Western countries, or there is such a conventional threat uh, to Russia that such a conventional invasion into Russia that can, that can make a threat to existence of the state. This is not a type of a conflict when we can, it can be used. President Biden has said Vladimir Putin's made a big mistake by suspending the New START nuclear arms reduction treaty with the US that caps the number of nuclear weapons both countries that have. You know all too well about this, having worked in that field yourself. Does Russia now plan to use this as an opportunity to build up its nuclear arsenal? No, and once again, no. Uh, the issue is that uh, the goal uh, that has been proclaimed by the United States is to strategically, strategically defeat Russia. In this situation, of course, we cannot stick to the, uh, this treaty. Uh, but uh, it has been uh, also stated absolutely that uh, verification mechanism is going to be uh, abolished right now, suspended, I would say, inspections and all of that stuff. But as for oh, oh, the sorry, limits, abolished or suspended? No, no, suspended, suspended. So if it's suspended, possibly Russia would be willing to rejoin under what conditions? Rejoin, what? rejoin the treaty, the START treaty. It might happen if the uh, United States will change uh, its goal uh, to defeat Russia strategically. Your Russian ambassador to the United Kingdom, we've seen the Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky come here several times on many high-profile visits. He's addressed nearly every government in Europe and many governments further afield. How does that make you feel? No, it is just uh, going with extended hand uh, all around the world and uh, demanding money, demanding weapon, demanding help. Uh, this is funny, of course, but it is, uh, does not contribute to its image of a serious politician. It means that Ukraine has no means either to exist economically or to fight itself without external help. It is now totally dependent on the outside assistance, outside money. Uh, the state does not function. Can you explain to me why the Kremlin has repeatedly called Vladimir Zelensky a Nazi? I haven't heard that Kremlin is, uh, is uh, ever uh, used this term. In Ukraine, uh, there are a number of uh, neo-fascist organizations, that is true. And the government of Ukraine, as I said, it is extremely nationalistic, extremely nationalistic. To draw a line between uh, uh, fascism and nationalism is extremely difficult. Nine months before the conflict began, your boss, President Vladimir Putin, published an essay in which he said that Russians and Ukrainians are, are one people. And that true sovereignty, he said, in Ukraine is possible only in partnership with Russia. Does Putin have imperial ambitions to reclaim land lost after the collapse of the Soviet Union? Uh, well, you know, we, uh, <laughs> uh, we do not fight against Ukrainian people. Uh, we do not fight even against Ukraine itself. Uh, I have uh, seen many ex extreme exaggerations uh, about our goals, which has nothing to do with reality. We have a problem with, uh, with the government in Kyiv, in fact as I described it. And it doesn't mean intention to conquer other things. We do not conquer, <laughs> we do not intend uh, to do this, what has been uh, assigned to us as uh, our probable position. It is just invention of the politician or of some journalist uh, 
Anglo-Saxon journalism, in fact, has lost its uh, good qualities of serious analysis. They are now mostly uh, running after sensations uh, than, uh, uh, than trying to analyze the real situation. Where do you see the diplomatic initiative lying? Which countries do you trust to act as potential mediators to bring about an end to these hostilities? It is not the question of who is going to mediate. Right now, Ukrainian President Zelensky has made a decree that he is not going to negotiate with Russia. On these terms, uh, actually, <laughs> it makes it impossible for him. He just got this law uh, through the parliament and he prohibited himself to do this. Well, he, he's made a very clear set of demands and one of his biggest demands is that Russia completely withdraws from all of Ukraine's territory. Is that something Russia would even contemplate? No, we, it, it is absolutely uh, unrealistic because if Russia is going to withdraw, he will continue just to exterminate Russians from, its, from this territory. Ambassador, my very last question to you. You've made a successful career of building bridges between Russia and other countries, and now this near daily, weekly protests outside the Russian embassy. Is it really worth it? As for the process, protest outside uh, our embassy, uh, it is uh, just, uh, I think that they are paid uh, and uh, some, most of the time there are no protests. So if people would like to do this, they can express uh, this opinion. You know that we are not hostile towards the West at all. Uh, but there are in a way two Wests. One is a West that has traditional values, uh, that has very rich culture, uh, that is uh, a lot of ties uh, with Russia. But there is also a different West, which is neoliberal, which is very aggressive, which is trying to impose its own values, which is trying to dictate to every state how to behave. So this West is not acceptable to us. Andrei Kellen, Russian Ambassador to the United Kingdom, many thanks for talking to us on our visit. Okay, thank you very much.